So the 30th is today, all right? So our, we are excited about our family night, Lindsay Lane, together uh, tonight. Now, if you have looked at the forecast as I have, uh, I mean, obviously, I had a lot more faith that the Lord will... Pr- I'm just kidding, y'all. Um, <laughs> truthfully, we are going to be monitoring the weather. Uh, they, they will make the call if uh, we're canceled or not. If you will follow us on, like us on Facebook... Or on Instagram, uh, that is how we will communicate if something is canceled today, if our family night. But if not, uh, we'll see you at 530. We're really, really excited about that. Uh, I've, I've already spent tons of money buying all of my children hats, trash panda hats. So I'll be really disappointed if we're not able to, to, to do it tonight. But uh, anyway, uh, we are excited about that. And, and if you haven't noticed, we do not have a bring it in video this week because of things that we all had going on. I had someone in the last service tell me that was the whole reason why he showed up, uh, which I told him was unnecessarily hurtful. Uh, but uh, we will have that next. That's the whole reason why Will showed up. Uh, we, we, will have you, we will have it for you next week uh, to see how everything uh, panned out. If you got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're in our last week of our Bring It In series, focused on the unity of the church, the unity for us as a body of believers, uh, and what that looks like and what that means. Week one, we talked, about, uh, we talked about the reason, right? The reason why we do what we do. As the church, every team has a reason. Uh, every team has a reason for existing, and that's the glory that comes with victory. Uh, we have that reason as well within us as the body of Christ, not for our own victory, but ultimately the victory and the fame of God and God alone. Uh, two, week, two weeks ago, we talked about the name, that every team has a name, and they represent the name. Us, as children of God, represent as citizens of heaven, we represent where we're from. Last week, we talked about how every team has opponents, right? Every team faces opponents. Otherwise, it's not really a sporting event. Without opponents, there's not really, it's not really a sporting event. And so every team faces an opponent. But today, we're looking at something a little bit different. Today, we're looking at the attitude, The attitude. Every team has a certain attitude, and that attitude is determined will determine whether that team will be successful or that team will ultimately fail. Last week we addressed external enemies and pressures, but typically the make or break factor for team unity comes from within. As you hear sportscasters and things like that talk, you hear phrases like, they've lost the locker room, or the locker room is divided. Uh, That mentality, there's something about a locker room in sports. If you have played organized team sports, uh, you understand the idea of the importance of a locker room. You see, a locker room is unique. In that a team can retreat to a locker room, and it doesn't really matter what's going on outside. It doesn't matter how the season has gone, positive or negative, right? It doesn't matter what all the opponents say. That team in that locker room is there for one purpose. These are your boys or your girls, right? These are, this is your team. These are the people that have assembled for the sole purpose of victory, right? They, they have assembled to defeat their opponent, and there's a camaraderie that exists in a locker room. 
And it doesn't matter what teams go through. There's positive things said. There's negative things said. As long as the locker room is intact, there's hope for the team. It's why coaches spend so much time, effort, and energy into pregame speeches or halftime speeches. Why? Because the team is retreating into the locker room to prepare themselves. Regardless of how the first half went, the team has to regroup and it has to be together and united with the same attitude and the same purpose. It's why it's really condemning to hear someone say that a coach has lost the locker room. They've lost their connection and camaraderie with the team. To say a locker room is divided is even worse because now you have players that are supposed to be there for a single purpose who are there for completely arbitrary reasons, for separate reasons entirely. And so to lose the locker room or to divide a locker room is a serious thing. Why? Because there's magic that happens in a locker room. There's relationships that are built in the locker room. And then you leave the locker room united together and you go and you pursue whatever purpose that you have. The reason we meet as a church is similar to the assembly of a team in a locker room, right? To gather together with believers. Listen, there's not, there's not a whole lot of, of progress to be made just in this room, right? If it stays here, if it stays within the four walls of a church, our faith is dead. Right? We're just a gathering. We might as well be a, a co-op or a Lions Club or a, a social event or, or whatever we're going to be. Right? The difference between a team and the locker room is that you go out with a purpose. And so it's important that we understand that because we're talking, Paul is talking to the church of Philippi and he is talking to a church that has had a small seed of discord planted within the church that has begun to sprout and begun to divide in a little, in, just in a very minor way. But Paul is writing to nip it in the bud, to quote Barney Fife. He's writing to nip it in the bud. He's writing to, to stop it before it ever stops. And listen what he says in verse 1. Let's look firstly at the call. The call. Listen what he's calling, his, calling the, the followers of Christ in Philippi to do. Listen to verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, and any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You see, Paul understood the difference. In writing to the church of Philippi, he understood the difference between unity and uniformity. Uniformity happens on the outside. Uniformity is dictated from those that are outside of the circle. Whether it's officials, whether it's, you know, whatever the case may be. Even a coach. A coach can lead a team in uniformity. Keep everybody in line, keep them focused on one thing, keep them working toward a common goal, and keep them practicing as hard as they can. He can, he can teach uniformity. What a coach cannot do is provide unity for the team. 
Uniformity comes from outside, but Paul understood something very important. In the way he addressed the Philippians, he understood that we can't, as the church, right, be organized from outside. We can't be organized just by leaders and pastors and shepherds and bishops and priests and elders and deacons or whoever else that we it's not just a leadership from without but for us as the body of Christ it takes unity from within if there was going to be true unity in Philippi it would have to come from within each believer it couldn't come from a letter that Paul wrote So Paul reminded them of what united them. And so he says four things there that unify. The first thing is that there is encouragement from salvation in Christ. Right? The ifs there are not necessarily statements of condition, but of reality. So he's not really saying if, like maybe it is, maybe there's not. He's saying since there is any, there is any encouragement in Christ. Right? He's he's stating facts. Since there's encouragement in Christ, We should live unified. Now, I don't know about you, but the week that I've had, I need this first point. This has been a crazy week. It's been an emotionally draining week. It's been a week that's looked different from from the other unprecedented weeks before it. Uh, It's just looked different. I have needed the encouragement of Christ. And God spoke to me. Y'all, this was, this was added last night. God spoke to me as I was going through some stuff mentally. Uh, and He encouraged my soul. And I want to encourage you today. Listen, the, what we balk against in all, this, all these restrictions and all this COVID stuff is the, is the ability to, for the church to assemble physically and to interact Physically, but I want you to understand, and God put this in perspective to me uh, in, in a very, very resounding way. Since COVID has started, our church has seen eight baptisms. From the, from the very beginning till now, our little bitty church has seen eight baptisms. This week, this week, this crazy week, we have three candidates for baptism added this week. That God has moved in a powerful way. Listen, we've got four or five other people that are lined up for a creek baptism someday in, in the future. Hopefully next month. We'll see how it goes. But that's, we've got four or five that are lined up for it. Man, God is moving. This week I received a call from our student pastor, Joseph, who informed me that one of our teenagers had radically given their lives to Jesus. Right? They weren't in person. They, couldn't, they didn't meet in person. They met over the phone. But God's kingdom is still movement. We need to understand in all the discouragement that we can find in this day, there is encouragement in Christ. There is encouragement in the church. There is things that we can hold on to. God has not been restricted in this. And we need to understand that. We need to hold on to that. There's encouragement in Christ, but he goes on secondly and says, if there's any, if there's any comfort from love, what is he asking? If there's 
as if there's ever been a time in your life where love has comforted you and a time that you felt dejected and a time that you felt alone and a time that you felt worthless, has love ever intervened, whether it's from someone else or whether it's from the loving arms of Jesus, has love ever intervened in your life? He goes on in, in the third point. He says, uh, if there's any, has there ever been any participation in the Spirit? If there's any anticipation, uh, participation excuse me, in the Spirit... He's saying if, if the Holy Spirit has ever worked within you, the idea of participation is a word koinonia. It's where we get fellowship and community. If, there's, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life as a believer, the Holy Spirit should be, better be, working in your life. If there's any participation in the Spirit with you, between you and God, and if there's any participation in the Spirit between the Spirit of God in you and the Spirit of God in someone else, as a church... If there's any participation in the Spirit and any affection and sympathy. He's saying, if you have ever felt anything for me, if you have ever regarded me in any sort of way, the, the word that's actually used in the New Test in the uh, King James is bowels, right? If there has ever been an, the, the innermost desire for me, for my ministry, for what I'm doing, for the progress that's being made for the kingdom. And this is what he says. Complete my joy. Well, every one of us in this room could probably give us something that would make them happy. Right? That would really just really be awesome. Every one of us in this room has, has those things that could make us happy. But Paul's joy was not in getting out of prison. Remember, he was in change writing this. It wasn't in receiving a gift that the Philippians had given him before. It wasn't in trying to get more money from them, which I swear there is still a mentality that that's all preachers do is they try to get money from people, right? It wasn't in that, and it wasn't even in getting his name out there. Right, Getting his name out there for his fame and for people to recognize who he was. His greatest joy was to see the body of Christ unhindered. Why did Paul write like he did to all of these churches, even in prison? If there was ever a time where you'd be like, hey, you know what, I'm going to pause these, uh, this note writing. If there was ever a time, being in prison would be the time. right? But why did he continue to do it? Why? Because his joy was made complete when the body of Christ was unhindered and serving God passionately, whether he's there or whether he's remote. He was making a difference and seeing the kingdom of God at work. Unity is the uniform of the church. Not uniformity, not rule from on high, not in an ivory tower cast down for you. This is how you should behave and this is what you should do. But unity is the uniform of the church. Birthed inside of the church is the seed that is different than any other entity in the world. Why? We have this living hope. We have this hope that transcends Everything else. He says there to be of the same mind, the same heart. And he says the same of cord. The word literally means in the, cre in the Greek, not the creek, <laughs> that's an Indian tribe. In the Greek, co spirited. That they are to be co spirited. So he says, be of the same mind, be of the same heart, 
and be of the same spirit. Wow, that sounds really familiar. You remember the great commandment. Matthew 22, verse 37. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He is calling the body of Christ to submit to one another in the same way that they have submitted to God. The same way that the Jews had submitted to God way back in Deuteronomy. Calling us to the same commitment to one another. Why? Because we are the church and unity is our uniform. So we've seen the call. Secondly, let's look at the correction this is where Paul deals specifically with what's going on. And listen to what he says in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So by way of illustration today, I have a, a bib. Now, y'all... I'm a dad of a little girl, all right? Now, my boys, yes, they've come through, but any parent knows consignment sales are a beautiful thing. They long gone. Some of you may have some of my son's old, old uh, bibs, right? But uh, this is my daughter's bib. I ra- rated it from her drawer to this, this morning uh, for the purpose of an illustration. Now, so, you know, I'm rocking my little kitty cat bib here. A bib communicates something. When we put a bib on our child, it is time for her to eat. It's time for her to receive something. Let me just tell you, dadgummit, she needs it. All right? I'm not a neat freak, but when I'm interacting with just sludge, that's a problem. All right? So this, this bib is handy dandy. And so, and so we put this bib on her and it, and it says something. It says what? It's, it's bite-bite time. That's what she calls them, bite-bites. It's bite-bite time. And so we put it on her. It keeps food. It's the, the purpose of this cloth is to keep food off of her. To keep her presentable, Lord knows. They need to be larger, right? We need shamwows made out of these things. But a bib communicates something. It communicates, I'm ready to receive. I'm ready to receive. Give me something. Feed me. Or I'll cry. That's why my wife is looking through the back window right now because she's watching our daughter who's probably mad that she ain't in the bib. She just turned so nobody's here. It's because what? It, the bib communicates a small child is ready to eat. They're ready to receive food. I'm afraid that this world, if we leave ourselves to be informed by the basic ebb and flow of this world and not be informed by God's word, we will never get past a bib mentality for life. It is all about me. It is about what I receive. It is about what I get. And there are, there are uh, insidious ideas that even if I am serving you, I am serving you ultimately to be, feel better about myself. Right? That even mission, even things that we do that are good things and charity can ultimately be done by us. Why? Because we have a bib mentality for our life. And Paul tells them, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. Stop looking just for your needs, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. The world has vastly understood what the, the meaning of the word humility is. 
Because there are people in this room that would consider themselves humble. And the reason that you consider yourself humble is because you think you're worthless. Or you have a very low standard for your life. That you don't have very high expectations for you. And humility does not begin with us thinking less of ourselves. That's not where humility begins. I love what C.S. Lewis said. In in dealing with this specific passage of Scripture, C.S. Lewis said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility doesn't begin only when we begin to see ourselves as less than who we are. Listen, God created us with value. We are made in the image of God, and that is said about no other creation. That is significant. God didn't interact with the deer. He didn't interact with the dogs. Sorry, you dog lovers in here. He certainly didn't interact with the cats, right? He didn't interact with any other creation, but he personally interacted and, by the way, put his godship on the line through covenant with man. He did it with man. We are the highest of creation. We all have purpose intrinsically. And we have even greater purpose if you're in here and you're a child of God because you may be an earthen vessel, but you house the glory of God. There is value in you. So humility doesn't start from thinking less of yourself. Humility begins when we seek, knowing our value, we seek to add value to others. As someone created in Christ's image, you should never think of yourself as worthless. But humility is knowing your value in Christ. Knowing that, that being settled in your mind, you willfully choose to place your needs and desires under the needs of others. This is humility. This is how I'd like it, but I'm laying aside my bib because I see an opportunity to serve you. A mindset toward others on your notes indicates a heart changed by God. The world does not arrive at this conclusion. Only the Spirit of God does. And the the world will pay lip service to servant leadership. It'll pay lip service, but ultimately why? So you can get them to do what you want them to do and lead more effectively. No, but we serve and quite possibly could get nothing in return. Our service comes without strings attached. We've seen the call. We've seen the correction. Thirdly and finally, let's see the command. Philippians 2.5 Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of of men. My wife and I have random conversations in our house because I'm a random guy. And I was knew that this is where I was going, so I wanted a bib. And I thought it'd be great if I could put on the bib. Obviously not going to happen. So I made the statement to my wife, asked her the question, "Baby, do you know where I could find an adult bib?" I don't know what we were talking about, but I know what I was thinking about, but she didn't. The look that she gave me after that question was priceless. Said everything that needed to be said, right? What business does an adult have with a bib? Alan, I don't know where you get it. I don't know where you get a bib for for an adult. 
I started thinking about it. I thought to myself, you know what? That's kind of the point, isn't it? It would look really silly if I brought a bib up here that fit a full-grown man. Why? Because I've moved past a bib. I have matured past an idea of give me, give me, give me. I have been brought along physically to be able to feed myself. And so today I want to remind you there's another piece of fabric that's upside down. This is an apron. Everyone in this room understands what an apron does. It actually performs the exact same task that the bib does. Keeping stuff off your clothes. Protects your clothes just like a bib does. But the purpose and the reason are completely different. A bib says, serve me. Give me. An apron says, let me serve you. I can't help but think that God looks down from glory and he sees his church assembled with a bunch of bibs on. You know what he thinks? He thinks the same thing my wife thought when I asked for a full-grown man's bib. Boy, that's silly. Don't they understand that I have called them to more than this? I've called them to don an apron. I've called them to serve. No longer looking out for their needs, but serving the needs of others. God measures greatness. Not by what is gained, but by what is given away. Let's think about Jesus. He gives us this example. Let this mind be in you. Let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God, let this attitude, this secret recipe to your team, to the church, is going to come when you understand this. Let this attitude be in you that you have seen in Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not desire to bring glory to himself. He did not desire for people to think he's great. Listen, if there was anybody that had it the way he liked it, it was Jesus in heaven. Right? The angels declaring his glory every moment of the day throughout all history but rather than relish in the fact that he was God he humbled himself of course not taking away value from who he was but he humbled himself and became obedient to God and he came in the form of a servant he laid aside his privilege of Godship. The word in Greek is kino. He emptied himself. He let go of his omnipresence. He let go of the, of the, the power and he let go of the, uh, of the reputation he had in heaven that he experienced daily. He let go of those things momentarily. He was still those things. 
He did not empty himself of Godship. He was God with skin on. But he stepped out of eternity with an apron and he came in the form of a servant. And Paul says, let this mind, let this attitude be in you that was in Jesus Not to strive for your own glory, not to strive for your own reputation or your own self or to have your own needs met, but to serve the needs of others. God measures greatness. Think about what God gave up. Think about what Jesus gave up for you. Because greatness isn't measured in what we have, it's measured in what we've given away. So what is it that you need to empty yourself of today? For the glory of God and for the good of your fellow man. Maybe you need to humble yourself and recognize your need for a Savior. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, then you're the most important person in this room. The greatest service I could ever do for you is to tell you how you can have a relationship with Him. But it requires you humbling yourself, repenting from your sin, turning from your sin. Whether in this room or at home. To repent. There has to be a time in your life where you recognize that you're a sinner. You repent of that sin. And you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. I don't know. Maybe a response for you looks like finally donning an apron. How do, how, do we, how do we reach what is God's vehicle to get His presence to the world? It's His church. Jesus died for His church. Maybe it's time you join arms with the church. I literally don't care if today you make a decision to become a member at another church. I'll pass the information along. But you need to be involved somewhere. Don an apron instead of a bib. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for what you've taught us today and for your word. Bind it to our hearts. Lord, we love you. God, I pray for one that may be in this room that needs a relationship with you. God, we have people here We have counselors here that would love to talk to them about how they can know they have a relationship with Christ. How they can become a part of this body of believers. Lord, how they can get their life right with you. God, how they they can uh, get in contact with the pastor. We've got counselors that are here that would love to talk to them. Father, I pray right now that you would give them boldness. As I speak, even as I'm praying, God, you would give them boldness to stand up on their feet. Father, walk this aisle, find these counselors, Lord, and share with them how, how they, the decision they need to make for you. Right now, God, I pray that you would give them boldness to do that. I pray that they would respond even now, that they would stand. But God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're teaching us. In spite of circumstances, God, what you are teaching and ministering to our hearts in this place and in households all across this community. Let us be serious about serving you and serving others. If you're here in this place and for whatever reason you didn't respond, 
physically or if you're listening by live stream, you don't have an opportunity to respond physically, I want you to know those connect cards are also a way that you can mark that you have made a decision for Christ today. So at the bottom of that card, you can look right there, whether you're in person or you've accessed it online. Again, you can access North Connect at 31996, and you'll be connected to our connect card. You can let us know if you've made a decision today. We'd love to follow up with you. We'll follow up this week with you on whatever decision that you need to make. Before you leave today, you can drop that in or you can submit that online. Whatever that looks like, whatever that response looks like. But don't leave this place without doing business with the Lord. God, we thank you for your presence. It's here. Let us be different as a result of meeting with you. Of hearing from you. In Christ's name we pray.